Welcome back to the Spinner Rack, uh, to a special episode, our Season 1 Recap Show. Here are your host, Stephen. And hey, Andy. <laughs> ah! Well, we don't have a book that we're uh, mentioning this time, so that's jumping in fast. Uh, yeah, we didn't uh, script everything as well as we should have. So uh, we are 24 weeks and 48 books into the new universe. And that's about a thousand pages of comic book fun and joy. Right. So the new universe, as you'll recall, was a uh, publishing imprint and uh, plan by Jim Shooter, along with Archie Goodwin. Mark Gruenwald, Tom DeFalco, and a couple of extra guys um, who, um, in 1986, um, threw out a line, a full line of eight comic books to celebrate Marvel's 25th anniversary by generating new comic books with new characters and a new world. Our world. The real world. <laughs> the world outside <laughs> your window? <laughs> That's the one. Yay. <laughs> Um, we've been reading some of the history of this time and how they did it, and uh, we'll chat about that a bit. And we will go through our first six months of each of these uh, eight comic book series that were produced and what we've gotten out of them and how they've sort of changed as they've gone along. Um, hopefully this will be a good starting point if you haven't been listening to us. And... Possibly, um, if it piques your curiosity, if this is a good point for people to jump on and uh, maybe go back to something that they enjoy particularly. Um, let's see. We a lot of the the history of the new universe kind of has a question mark of why Jim Shooter thought to do it in the first place. So why have a new universe when you have all these established characters and their top sellers and everything? Um, he says he wants to wanted to um, sort of really push the envelope and not just retread old uh, ground. Um, he, I've seen something that he really thought Stan, um, Stan Lee wanted to create more science fiction in the first place, but that Jack Kirby's love of fantasy perhaps um overpowered that direction um i don't know i have a, a personal theory that shooters um may have been thinking about a uh, conversation he had had a couple of years before you can find on his blog um that he was recommending that marvel buy out dc and then take over publishing Superman, Batman, Wonder Woman, just the core titles as just a licensing arm. And that's the first uh, mention I've seen of you know, having a uh, isolated universe within the Marvel universe. Um, which could have been the DC universe, which would have been so yeah. really interesting, yeah. If, if they had done that, yeah, it would have been... You know, we'll just keep them to themselves and we'll just develop this line of comics on their own. And I, people weren't doing that at the time. So that's why it kind of jumped out to me is like, is this the first time he was thinking of doing that? 
I don't know. Yeah, right. Because he, he was thinking of it kind of almost like let's take the greatest hits, right? Like not everything DC publishes and just roll with it. Let's take the big names, start over their own little universe. You know, so, so yeah, it would have been really interesting. But I think this the story went that it probably would have happened if not for Marvel being in some legal trouble about being a monopoly from some something, right? So then, like, yeah, they the had like seventy per seventy five percent of the um, newsstand audience already, and so if they'd have gone for the DC's much smaller but still significant audience, they would have been at like a ninety plus percent. Right. So um, perhaps that was why it didn't didn't actually happen, but it gave them. The you idea. learn a lot about these sort of back like yeah business shenanigans that affected a lot of uh, you know why did this comic book you know, happen or not happen. Uh, there was a business deal that you didn't ever heard about. Eh, anyway. Um, so we are six months in and the new universe, as we're, we're well aware, was not a resounding success. So unfortunately, there were um, already signs that the titles were having to change creators, having to change directions. And for us, we're doing this right now because we think there's a significant change between right around this point. It's hard to pinpoint it exactly, but knowing that um, in the greater behind the scenes um, world, that Jim Shooter is leaving um, Starbrand with the next issue, we think. Um, and he's pulling back from being a creative and editorial force in the new universe. Um, at this point, these uh, books have been out for a few months, and it's long enough that they've gotten sales reports and then tracked them for a couple months. And so you're starting to get things published by them that's aware of that. And... Well, they're going to sort of change things up more to try to um, broaden the appeal, I guess. So they haven't canceled anything yet, but Starbrand uh, is going to go bi-monthly. And then we'll start seeing some other um, changes that I honestly expected to see by at this point already. Um, they'll start having more fan involvement with... Um, more contests. There'll be a slogan contest. Um, they'll start having universe news published more frequently. About ever. <laughs> um, putting uh, fan mail columns in. I didn't realize that was taking so long. Um, I, I was it that hard to typeset like a page of text. I would have thought that was a lot easier than doing it. Right. I, th I think that, I mean, the impression I get, which I didn't know at first, was though, right? So, like, the new universe story kind of goes of, you know, so you've got Jim Shooter's got the idea, wants to see it through. Of course, initially, they have this big budget. So, like, okay, we're ready to go. We're going to make this big, splashy, like, cool new thing. Um, and then Marvel, because, you know, they were going up for sale, they, they pulled the entire budget, like, basically no money for new universe, but he was so invested in it already. It sounds like, that, all right, he's going to do it no matter what they already kind of had these meetings and such. Um, but then it sounds like 
the beginning of the new universe almost in the office kind of had to happen on the sly like you know like there weren't big meetings with all the marvel people they were just kind of getting it done behind the scenes all the books were kind of late um but he was still big into publishing them on time so things would get kind of like rushed in and out and uh and so i imagine a lot of that would is going to have to do with the creator changes and then like not having the too many of those fun extras of you know letters pages and all that but so maybe you know that stuff's gone by the wayside a bit you know everything's maybe settled down a little bit so now yeah okay let's actually start uh smoothing this out or at least attempt to yeah i think that you know they they say a lot about you know reliving the days of um the marvel universe and being there at the ground floor and sort of starting and a big part of that was building the fan involvement and stands rah-rah editorials all the time and you know we love your letters i'm sure it was you know they were pushing for that all the time there was a number of things now that they'll do that are i guess free um yeah there was a few things they could have done um if they had some money that i think would have really helped them that any comic book company would tell you to do now like have you know, top creators, if you can't afford to get them on the books, at least get a cover by them, you know, if you had a month of Frank Miller covers, that right. would have helped sales, you know. Um, so, you know, some of this is from, in hindsight, because they were doing this the first time. This is all very first time. If you read Shooter's um, explanations for how his original thought was or alternative was to reboot the marvel universe do basically crisis and start over with kind of an ultimate marvel i mean that happened like 10 years later it didn't <laughs> reboot but they they had a huge success having like a self-contained slim down continuity um fresh take modern uh, origin stories all that so right nobody wanted to do that in 1985 or whatever for the 25th anniversary so then we got the new universe instead yeah so let's see um so as we part of this is, it comes from looking at marvel age 50 which marvel the new universe was announced in about 44 and by 50 they announced guess which one of these characters will die so it was like Six months turnaround to, um, okay, we're going to have to um, juice, juice things up a bit. Yeah, so, um, Which, actually, more, more than one, probably. It's, it's, they've been pushing the uh, Cyforce, uh, or I'm um, sorry, Troubleshooters. Yeah. Spitfire, yeah. The, our anyway. whole last issue of Spitfire and the Troubleshooters at the end is like, somebody's dying, somebody's dying. Do you want to hear about it? You should look, read this one because someone's dying. A troubleshooter is dying. <laughs> okay. Uh, not, not subtle. It's, uh, what was the saying? More red flags than uh, Moscow on May Day or something. But... That's a good one. You know, once you start reliving the 80s, it's like that Cold War just never ended. I don't know. Um, so let's see. So how about the first six issues? 
Should we pick favorite moments or start going through the titles? Hmm. I think we should go through the titles and it will refresh our minds for that favorite moment. Fantastic. <laughs> Andy, take it away. <laughs> All right. Yeah. So, so the podcast has covered the first six issues of star brand uh, all of those written by Jim Shooter and most of them drawn by John Romita Jr., who we're always happy to see. Um, <clears throat> and in the story so far, uh, of course, Ken Connell is our star of this romance book. Um, he's a, you know, super bachelor with lots of girlfriends, but basically starts off, you know, he's a mechanic, he rides a motorcycle runs into a mysterious old man slash space alien uh, in a situation kind of similar to Green Lantern, I think we pointed out at the time, um, but he receives the star brand. So it's a tattoo which gives him uh, powers, he's invulnerable, he can fly uh, and you know, release energy like an explosion. Um, but the old man is very mysterious. So uh, most of the first six issues is him sort of struggling to try and figure out like what to do with this power. The old man kind of flees the scenes, disappears or dies. It's confusing in the start. Um, he defends uh, himself from an, an alien invader that wants the star brand. But then a lot of the following issues are trying to figure out what to do, right? So, all right, little Timmy's trapped in the well. How am I going to get to him? Like, how am I going to do this without blowing my identity? You know, how am I even going to find this spot in the middle of the woods? Right. Uh, so there's a lot of neat uh, details about you know what what life might be like if you've gained superpowers. Um, it has a really great. It does sort of bring up like how limited some powers are, like without X-ray vision or. You know, several extra powers to go with them you don't know where to go or what to do and so yeah right like like he could tunnel through the ground but you can't see right everything's just mud yeah so yeah. okay thanks for half a half a superman power there That's, right yeah. um yeah he can he can take a nuclear bomb and he did right so rescued a, a group of captured uh like a captured cruise ship from terrorists. Um, right. Uh, but yeah, there's a great cast of supporting characters in the book. Uh, his friends slash girlfriends uh, are a lot of fun. Um, oh, okay. Help me here. Uh, the name of his weirdo psychiatrist buddy is escaping me. Myron. Myron. Thank you. Yes. Uh, who, who he confides in originally and kind of talks through like kind of what to do. Uh, he's got... Uh, Debbie Duck Fix, uh, Debbie Fix, who's his, you know, very devoted, you know, side girlfriend. Really, <laughs> she seems like like she's been around forever. You know, yeah. I mean? So I'm not quite sure how that worked out. They never explain how they met or any of the backstory kind of thing, but um, they have relations together often, even when he happens to be seeing uh, Barb, his maybe more serious girlfriend um who he also sort of had seemed to have made clear to that he doesn't want a serious relationship you know she has kids she's a single mom kind of thing yeah so he's got a <clears throat> the main conflict is between the young uh more carefree girlfriend and the uh 
girlfriend with a lot of baggage, but it's sort of his, um, how, how, you know, whether he wants to sort of be mature and sort of step up to the plate with that is part of his internal conflict. Right. So alongside with struggling what to do, right, he's, with his superpowers, he's struggling what to do, you know, with his relationships. Yeah. You know, does he want to keep being the fun single guy who's broke? <laughs> uh, or does he want to kind of settle down with Barb? And, and both women are sort of equally devoted to him, really, honestly, in the beginning. Um, as far as the story goes, you know, he has some, some run-ins with terrorists who are maybe trying to figure out who he is. Um, and also, you know, we find as we go through the books that the initial encounter with the old man where he got the star brand is maybe uh, faulty memories for him. So uh, it may not, in fact, be just as simple as, you know, he's been passed down this power and then the old man dies and then okay you're free to go you know the only alien... you are worthy ken connell right yeah, no, it's <laughs> which is pretty random it's so much weirder than that it's almost like yeah total recall he'll start like his friends will start criticizing his origin story and he'll be like wait that doesn't make sense does it and he'll go out and look for at the scene of where he had a fight and there's nothing there and so it becomes like a kind of a scab that he keeps picking at. And we're, nice. we're still not quite sure where he's going with it. But um. yeah, yeah. So it's it's still uh it's still a little unsure. Uh what is the star brand? How does it work? Uh where did it come from initially? Where did the old man get it? You know, why did he actually give it to Ken Connell? Is there some secret there? Um in the last issue that we covered you know all of that sort of comes to a head you know so he decides he wants to be with barb but that falls apart pretty quick as the old man kind of crashes the scene he has to rescue duck uh the old man kind of confronts him in a way they end up fighting he kind of you know scares him off to a degree um but kind of left with a lot of questions and then our, our cliffhanger was kind of huge right so he he kills his relationship with Barb because, you know, Duck kept showing up and needing help. You know, Ken hadn't explained the star brand to Barb yet. He always wants to, but never does. So he can't really explain himself. He um, very casually, like, told a couple of friends about the star brand. But then, like, it's a big conflict of whether he should, how to tell the other friends. It's, yeah. It's, yeah. Well, I mean... If, if she's going to be his ex-girlfriend, do you want your ex-girlfriend to know that's, your secrets? That's the ultimate question I learned from Starbrand is <laughs> do not tell girlfriends about your Starbrand power. Because if they're your ex-girlfriend, that's yikes. Yeah. <laughs> that is the problem. Yeah. So yeah, so in the end, he kind of ends his fight with the old man kind of maybe blasts him away or to safety and then is lost in space. So it's a big cliffhanger at the end of, you know, we don't know if duck's okay. Uh, we don't know if Barb has given up on him forever. We don't know if he's going to be able to get back to the planet. And we don't know if the old man is going to come back and, and cause more problems. Indeed. Yeah. That by the end of six, um, it, that's a great cliffhanger. 
Uh, the um, star brand, I would, you know, is, is reputed to be, and I think we'll agree, is the flagship title for the new universe um, in a yeah. lot of ways. It's, 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 yeah, it's realistic. Um, it's relatable, even uh, uh, if it's not like heroic, like he's not out there looking to save the world all the time. He does try to do what he can when he can, but um, it, it's one of these, you know, realistically, how often do opportunities to help people really even come across your plate? Um, but the um, it's all told from Ken's own point of view, and he's a very, he's a little more like working class, kind of um, didn't use his potential kind of a character, so... It's a lot of um, stories you feel you could yet tell with Ken Connell and that star brand power. Yeah, um, I think like the central, for me at least, like the central idea of the new universe is kind of like, well, all right, what do superpowers really look, what would superpowers really be like in the real world, right? you know, without all this fantasy stuff. Yeah, that was, yeah, I mean, that's they the story of realistic, but they wanted superpowers. Right. Right, right. So, so that's what makes it kind of fun. So, yeah. Mission accomplished. All right, one sec. So another part of the um, book is that you're always wondering how autobiographical it is because Shooter grew up in Pittsburgh as a tall guy who I'm not sure he had, he, he went straight to college, but he was a real sharp guy, kid apparently. Um, so we're always kind of wondering just how much of this is based on shooters life or like his friends that he, you know, worries about or, uh, you know, so without him as sort of the driving force to star brand, it's, a, it's hard not to think that it'll lose a, uh, that sort of very unique perspective. But up next, they've promised to have Roy Thomas come on as the writer. So um, for our previews at this point in the game, um, he's on board to at least take the next issue. Yeah, my understanding is Jim Shooter wrote the plot and Roy Thomas will be doing the script for this one, for issue seven. Right, right. So, I don't know. People will, you know, always ask, like, uh, about books that were canceled too soon and, like, the, the creators. Um, what were you going to do? What were you going to, where were you going to go with this? I got to say, I would really love to get uh, a few minutes with Shooter and, and see if he had some more plans up his sleeve for where he was going to take uh, this this title yeah I'm, I'm totally working on that but it's not easy so <laughs> jim, <laughs> jim shooter come to a con in new york or something <laughs> let's get this done or have more of an internet presence so you're easier to track down <laughs> yeah it's it's yeah it's definitely gonna be, will be different uh without jim shooter i, I think one of the one of the things I've found about comics that I really like are when you have sort of like a singular vision of like creator who gets a long run and kind of gets to do 
what they want on a comic book. And uh, mm. one of the big knocks on the new universe is always the creative changes. Uh, though I will say up to this point, they've weathered that fairly well. I mean, it might be a little different if I was reading them at the time, but you know, for a, a new new universe reader in 2022 or whatever, um, it's not that bad. It's, it's, not, it's not a big mess. I mean, it was perhaps behind the scenes, um, but reading things, you know, with an eye towards history and just, you know, finding something fun to read, like, you know, it, most of the time they've pulled it off pretty okay. Uh, it, it doesn't make me not want to read any of it. And yeah. Starbrand, Starbrand as the book has been very consistent so far. So, yeah, the um, um, let's see, Shooter is also sort of credited in some of the uh, interviews I've seen as sort of a guiding hand, sort of behind the scenes, like the guy who told everyone what you know realistic meant to him. So obviously, that's that's a kind of a broad um, uh, generalization to be like, you know, is this realistic or is that realistic? You know, but um, so we'll see where they go and uh, how they get there. But yeah, yeah, it's a testimony to the um, Marvel bullpen of the day. They could um, produce things monthly. I mean, nothing skipped a beat. Um, and out of six months, we have one fill-in issue, at least only one obvious one. Right. So that's one out of 48. That's pretty good. Um, and um, I'd say one real um, stinker in terms of the grade. I was going to say stinker too. <laughs> <laughs> Which is downright We've got a good. clean rating for this podcast, so uh, you folks all understand yeah if i picked up eight marvel books off the shelf like on new comic book day like chances are some of them are going to be bad <laughs> sure sure so, the beginning of the new universe i think is easy to recommend for anybody and they don't cross over that much yet so <laughs> you don't have to read them all but you can that's right let's see it was the Starbrand crossed over in Starbrand with Spitfire in the second issue. Yeah, so Star uh, Ken kind of runs into Spitfire and the Troubleshooters in the second issue, and then he shows up in their comic later. Right. And this up, I, I keep forgetting which book uh, the crossover appeared in. But yeah, anyway. yeah, the big crossover was in Spitfire and the Troubleshooters. So overall rating for the series so far. Hmm. It's definitely one of my favorites. Uh, I had read it before uh, and I knew I liked it. Um, I don't know. I think I, I think it's an A. I don't want to start too high, but it's definitely one of my favorites. Just within the new universe and in comics in general, I like it a lot. A plus plus. Oh, you went up to me. Ah, yeah. I don't think we're doing pluses. We're not. I'll just, I'll also give it an A. I um, overall, I can't uh, take any any of the reservations I might have. Like that, 
would bring it down off of that. It's um, outstanding art and writing. And even though it's confusing, it's a fun kind of confusing. So I will uh, go with it and enjoy it. So. And Ken flirts with everyone. It's great. <laughs> <laughs> if you've got friends and you, you'll start doing Ken impressions to them all, it cracks them up every time. Yes, everyone will instantly understand what you're doing. <laughs> oh, that body. Yeah. <laughs> uh, speaking of which, we'll move on to Spitfire and the Troubleshooters. So in this book, um, it was Jenny Swenson, who's an uh, engineering professor at MIT. She's very young and attractive. Still. Redhead with nice body, as Ken would say. <laughs> at, the, at the least. Um, her, the book started with her father being killed by his bra- boss, uh, a guy named Fritz Krotsky. Krotsky? Yeah. Um, he was working on man amplified experiment, which is basically a big sort of manga style robot suit, um, that was intended for peaceful purposes only. Um, she steals it. Uh, from from this um, industrialist with help from some student hackers she knows called the troubleshooters who are all kids at MIT. Um, so she's like hiding out because legally um, this guy Kratzi owns the armor, even though she thinks she blames him for her father's death. And she thinks he's going to use it for like military purposes. Um, I think it's, well established that he's a military and like contractor so yeah um i don't know what uh jenny's father thought he was gonna do (laughs) he was pretty uh focused on the work i guess i don't know why does the cia want to use my technology for spying on people uh nothing nothing sir nothing um is is that a laser beam you have attached (laughs) the robot's arm just for giving PowerPoint presentations. Oh, okay. That's good. Okay, sure. Um, so let's see. So they, um, the, one of the first like public heroism moments we see in the comics are, uh, is when, as we said, in Starbrand, he's thinking about rescuing a kid who's fallen down a well. And uh, Jenny shows up in the Max armor and just goes straight down there. It flies, of course. And pulls him out, rescues him, and the crowd goes wild. And it was really um, sort of a more optimistic moment. We were hoping, you know, it'd be sort of a more public, um, perhaps, superhero type situation. But it didn't work out that way. Um, first, the Scrutzi sent a tank to try to destroy or capture the Max Armor. Um, the guy, Grazi himself, kills the guy he had sent to kill Jenny's father. Um, Jenny and the troubleshooters break in to the um, research facility to get evidence about the club. Um, later, there's a sort of a nemesis introduced, a guy, an assassin working for this group called the club called Steelhawk. He's really um, sort of over the top in in the realistic um, quotient of the new universe. 
Yeah, very like Rambo 2 sort of character. Yeah, like an evil Rambo you have, which um, is, is, I mean, it's a fun kind of a, a crazy, but um, so that guy kills the original villain, Kratzi, and um, damages the max armor. And um, after that, um, Jenny is accused of killing Kratzi. She's been sort of set up by the Steelhawk character. And she spends at least one issue in prison. And we get another uh, crossover with Starbrand who comes back just to sort of put the kibosh on the Max armor, which had been damaged before, but was now totally destroyed. Um, Finally, the last few issues we've seen um, the troubleshooters do more themselves by um, taking parts of the Max technology, like the arms and the legs, and um, what the laser, yeah. and they their own sort of mini Maxes. So each of them has like just um, enhanced arms or just enhanced legs. So it's an interesting way to go with this that I wouldn't have expected at first. And at the moment, we're waiting for some disaster to fall because both the story and the editorial have been making a lot, a lot of hints that one of the troubleshooters is uh, bitten off more than they can chew with this uh, fighting the Steelhawk character so that one of them will die soon. The um, cliffhanger we had at the end of six was that the... Um, Steelhawk had planted a bomb to try to kill the British prime minister who was visiting and the troubleshooters were racing to try to stop that from going off. Yeah. If I remember right, she was going to like throw the switch to light the Christmas tree and he had trapped the, uh, that, that trigger. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It was rigged to go off. So he's like three seconds. You'll all be dead. Ho, ho, ho. He's uh, a little over the top. Yeah, I don't know. Very um, so. so Spitfire, from what we've read behind the scenes, was the one that was sort of most changed from their original creative team and original vision. There's like a couple of guys who were like more behind the scenes editors or letterers there that were had sort of given the the winning pitch for how to for this uh, comic to be part of the new universe, but they were only on the book for like an issue or two. So unfortunately that a lot of that was um, like the interest in uh, MIT campus and things were part of their uh, pitch. So uh, we lost a lot of interesting uh, potential there. I, we thought, but yeah, I think that, I mean, that, Sounds like that had to have been the genesis of the troubleshooters sort of idea, right? Because they had thought about, uh, you know, what's it like being on campus and, uh, you know, sneaking around and causing trouble and all that kind of stuff and and uh, jumping from roof to roof, maybe even. But uh, yeah, maybe that's uh, in part why our troubleshooters in the beginning, you know, didn't really get characterized that well. Yeah, at first we thought they were really undercharacterized. We didn't get 
half of their names or, or personalities for two or three issues easily, I'd say. But um, then they supplanted Jenny in the book. So who? Um, yeah, I started calling it the troubleshooters and Spitfire. Um, I don't know. I mean, she goes to prison. They're they're trying to break her out, and then she gets out and just tells them not to not to make trouble anymore. And they're like, "Yeah, let's go make some trouble. Yeah, okay. <laughs> let's um, go save the prime minister. Yay! Try not to get blown up in the process. All right. So Spitfire and the Troubleshooters is an interesting book. Um, yeah, it's the story is bounced around a little bit and, and, you know, we just mentioned, you know, some issues with the main character disappearing for a time and such. Um, but, uh, you know, it also has some really great moments. Like there's a lot of really fun pieces. Uh, you know, my favorite moment in Spitfire and the Troubleshooters was when Eddie, the troubleshooter got the strong arms. <laughs> and like boosted his confidence to 11 and you know, it didn't end well uh, so that was the battle with the behemoth tank kind of thing uh, and there's some fun moments where um, the other troubleshooters kind of use their powers the think think tank is that it right yeah Teresa's yeah. like weird mind hacking thing you know Cy- very cyberpunk uh uh, early days there with um, like a heads up display, but it also suddenly she's her, her like self image is floating in the net. And you're like, you're just accessing text files. What are you talking about? Yeah. Yeah. I think it, it basically amounted to like, she had this amazing brain helmet, but she had to like alligator clip into like a physical location in order to connect it. <laughs> yeah. They're like, ah, there'll be thousands of bits coming through here per per minute. I don't know if you can handle it. And they're like, yeah, let's get that modem ready. (laughs) Yeah. And then like, yeah, she goes into this sort of dreamy mindscape computer world searching thing. Um, But yeah, basically she's acting like a search engine, right? So like words on a police computer show up as images to her and it's a little funky but but yeah a lot of those things uh, i think are a lot of fun and i really like the when Kratzi killed the assassin um with like the star wars space laser it's like hey stand a little to the left <laughs> it's literally immobile it takes a whole room up so he has to tell the guy like yeah move to the left a little there yeah, it totally reminded me of like Mr. Burns and like the trapdoor in his room <laughs> kind of thing. <laughs> so, so um, this one is hardest to guess where it's going because it's it's one that will still have creative changes, and I think they've they've signaled pretty well where they're going next issue or two with um, killing a troubleshooter, and then there's uh, name changes in the title, so. Um, and hopefully they don't kill them all. I don't know. But um, so overall rating for the series so far. I went first last time. Um, Long pause. I'm prompted to say B minus. Um, it's enjoyable. It's kind of in the middle. But um, eh, 
trying to think if what what is like there the good parts that good yeah uh, i'll bring it up to a b i'll say b yeah i was thinking b as well i mean we'll see if we agree on every single comic book um it's not it's not really like so bad it's good i mean it's a little different than that but there's definitely issues with the characters and sort of the plots and such which hold it back a little bit you know there's there's probably way cooler things they could have done with the story um but looking back on it you know it's it's just kind of fun like there's a there's a lot of neat parts so so it never feels like a drag to read uh that's true b b made sense to me i I was thinking b minus maybe but it's it seemed a little unfair but hopefully it, it I mean, it could get better. Hopefully it doesn't kind of fall apart or lose direction even more. But yeah, I have no, no clue what's going to go on next. So. I think, yeah, our, gra- our grades tend to be sort of, you know, just within the new universe and everything's just sort of relative uh, to, you know, to, you know we're, we're not going from like Watchmen to, you know, disaster and like trying to fit <laughs> these on some absolute scale. I think almost, I think almost everyone who writes about the new universe online is like out to tear it apart and make fun of it. Honestly, like if you've ever read anything about it, it's usually about like this is a terrible, this is a disaster. Well, maybe one story is okay, but hey, look at this train wreck kind of thing. It really isn't. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we're 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 not looking to rip it apart. We're looking to find joy, and uh, you know, doesn't, doesn't make it. To a super biased grade but you know you know why why read something to hate it yeah we're not yeah we're not writing <laughs> reading it just to uh, make ourselves miserable we're having yeah. a good time with this overall and that being said if something's bad it's bad but and we'll call it out but yes but could any book with lita mercado be bad though i think not <laughs> so that's that's my smooth transition into night mask see <laughs> you si, senor <laughs> uh so yeah night mask one through six um this is the most white eventy book so far of the list um so the the u- new universe was supposed to sort of start with this bang this white event um and a, a lot of our books did start with the death um basically dream terrorist uh, plants a bomb in the airport and blows up poor Keith Ramsden's parents. Uh, Keith goes into a coma. His sister is crippled. And while he's in the coma with his sister by his bedside, uh, the white event happens. So of course he's dreaming in his dream coma, gains dream powers. She's sitting by his side, you know, thinking about him and to protect him, you know, she gains supportive dream powers, right? And thus Nightmask is born. <laughs> so uh, he has the power to enter other people's dreams, uh, perhaps hilariously by sleeping next to them. Uh, <laughs> you make it sound a little, uh, you know, Ken Connell-ish there. I don't know, man. My First he has powers. to seduce them, then he has to get them to go to sleep. See now, Susie, my dream powers are even stronger if I'm the big spoon. <laughs> oh. like night mask roofing uh, these patients. I don't know. He can fall asleep really fast. He's okay. 
Yeah, he, so, so he finds, finds out that he has these powers because it turns out he's in the hospital next to the man who bombed the airport, right? So basically the hired goon. And, and so which then he runs into uh, the gnome, which is a, uh, basically his parents' evil dream research competitor uh, who can also enter dreams uh, through technology. Um, but yeah, so that's his first battle. So basically the stories go as you know, he enters someone's dream and tries to solve some sort of problem. So they even set they set up a business with Dr. Ballard, who had been monitoring him, and his physical therapist, Lita Mercado, you know, the stealthy star of the show. Um, and yeah, they you know well, it's Teddy's physical therapist also. That's true, right? He's not just there to make Keith buff. Um, but yeah, so they uh, and horny. They solved the yes. <laughs> you can't stop that. He was 18. Um, yeah, they, they sort of solved the mystery of the bombing. Um, Gnome kind of continues to harass them. Uh, you know, they sent, there's a dream vampire character, Madame Midnight. Um, he helps uh, old friends with a drug problem, you know, random patients who kind of need help, you know, somebody in the witness protection program. Uh, so uh, a lot of individual stories about helping someone with a problem by getting into their dream. Um, a, a good dose of the gnome in the background causing problems and a, a healthy dose of, you know, he's kind of a horny 18 year old. So <laughs> <laughs> it makes it fun. It does. Uh, yeah. yeah. I, I originally uh, told Andy about this movie dreamscape. That was from a year or two before this book came out. And I still think this is one of the titles that's most like uh, a source material in that the, the ability to enter dreams and then try to help or hurt people um, is very much like that. And also Nightmare on Elm Street had been out for a couple of years. So yeah, Archie was, Goodwin definitely watched Dreamscape. So um it's so it's tied into the new universe with the white event giving them this power um but so far yeah he's like the only paranormal he's met um and it's sort of very episodic and taking care of other people's problems so he sort of solves mysteries where the mystery is what's going on in your dream and how that's hurting you or reflecting something that's going on in the life around you um so i don't know is it more mystery or horror something like that yeah initially i thought it would be kind of like the horror comic and i think the first couple issues bore that out more than the last right so it's not consistently kind of horror-y or, or scary stuff um, right right yeah it's kind of like horror fantasy it's an interesting mix yeah. so you can kind of do whatever you want with dreams so yeah no, very open-ended um but it's, i think uh, if anything it's lost a little bit um you know i think the gnome and midnight madam midnight mistress midnight kind of storyline is kind of interesting and compelling um the individual stories like the kind of in-betweens where he you know solves some random person's problem are kind of interesting on their own 
but like I, I wish it was a little more fluid like you know I don't I don't need it to be to wrap up the gnome storyline quick but you know he kind of jumps in and out so it makes me lose track a little bit yeah I'm afraid the prognosis for the future isn't good for the gnome storyline coming back anytime soon so I'm uh a little pessimistic about getting resolution on that so and that you know is is a is yeah a good driving point to the story having a, a villain you know someone you're struggling against who's trying to sabotage you you know helps flesh out the narrative in a lot of books so having yeah. a strong villain makes a strong hero i guess would be a something in a normal comic book you'd say that makes sense yeah and even i mean you just it's just hard with uh writer changes but um yeah i was reading walt simonson's thor run and like in the beginning you know for quite a few issues there's this character in the background who's like forging at some kind of super sword <laughs> And like, you know, each issue, you maybe get a, pa a page or a page and a half or even just like a couple panels of like, boom, 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 like something menacing is, is happening in the background. Like it would have been cool to have that, uh, you know, the gnome is healing or, you know, Madam Midnight is, is approaching or, you know, just something oh, yeah. to kind of remind us of the of the of the story, even if, uh, you know, we're dealing with Robin Hood and his merry men, that particular issue. Right. Yep. Still fun mm -hmm. though. Okay. Overall rating. All right. So it's my turn to go first, probably, right? <laughs> we play our cards pretty close to the vest here. <laughs> I don't want you one up in me. Uh I'd give this one a B as well. It, it's not perfect. Um but it's definitely enjoyable and, and it's a lot like Spitfire for me where you know, there's a lot of really cool parts of it. Like, you know, there's a lot, even amongst the different creator or different writers and such. Um, you know, it seems like almost every issue has a couple of really kind of fun bits to it. And I like the characters as well. Uh, it's not perfect, uh, but I definitely enjoy reading it. Yeah, I guess I'll take a, a B. It's... Uh sort of straight down the middle for me with uh, how much I enjoy it. It's not really, you know, there's nothing. Well, okay. Leader Mercado stands out a bit, but the, <laughs> um, uh, you know, it, it's just sort of, it shows up. I enjoy it. You know, I don't necessarily stay up waiting for the next issue, but I'm happy enough to get, see, get, see when it gets there. So. Yeah, I wish I had some clue what the heck was going to go on in the next issue. <laughs> like, by the end of reading four, I have no idea what we're going to see in five kind of thing. Yeah, it uh, yeah feels like it'll jump around a bit. I'm not sure uh, if it settles down before the end. Yeah, obviously the books came out years and years and years ago. I could cheat, but I'm not going to. <laughs> well, that's... Well, cheating would be a thing that Cyforce won't let you do because they have psychic powers. <laughs> mm, that, That's a terrible that segue. 
maybe a C minus. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, I could start doing my Gung- Gangnam style uh, thing, Psy again, but um, Psy Force is um, started off with five teens who had manifested psychic powers, ostensibly also caused by the white event. Um, they were manipulated by a CIA agent, Emmett Proudhawk, to leave their homes and uh, meet up in San Francisco. And uh, when they got there, Proudhawk had just rescued the fifth um, teen, who's a girl from Russia. And then he was killed by some KGB agents, um, at least one of whom also had psychic powers. And Mind Wolf, right? Mind Wolf, that's right. (laughs) The uh, teens, once they got together and um, it was like a medallion or something, found that they could join their um, psychic powers together to form something called Psy Hawk, which seemed to be like a gestalt of all of them. Uh, Voltron, did you say? Yeah, uh, I, I I amended it to say it's really more of a Captain Planet than a Voltron. Okay, but it has like its own personality and driving force, which is maybe Proudhawk or something. I don't know. Um, so uh, the teens uh, are in San Francisco, and they um, end up living at a teen runaway center called Sanctuary, which is a um, run by a friend of Proudhawks. Um, and it's a very uh, large place with a lot of um, strange kids. Um, Cyhawk started bossing them around and telling them what to do, weirdly enough, and not letting them go. So even though these kids didn't really want to leave uh, their homes, some of them had pretty happy home lives. Um, and we want to return there. Um, he, this like psychic being will start forcing them to turn around and go back to sanctuary. They're all kind of mad at him at this point. Um, overall, they've gotten in fights and um, been threatened with murder by various, uh, some of these uh, other teenagers at that shelter. They're like, Half the kids there are some like biker gang from a 70s movie or something. Um, Not your typical orphans. <laughs> it's like guy looks like he's 30 and is always pulling a knife on everyone. They're like, uh, now don't show your powers here because it'll run off people like cool. Yeah. Okay. That's fine. I'm not cool. cool here. Um, and the Cyhawk themselves himself is kind of a villain sometimes but they've tried to help the uh, others around them when they can but they're mostly just running scared and really uh kind of unhappy being on their own yes yeah, it's, it's an interesting book for sure um, and uh a lot of cool characters uh i'd say like wayne is definitely my favorite just because he's such an angry teenager and I think I've talked about him a lot in the podcast, but uh, at risk of being repetitive, you know, in the first time we meet him, you know, he's just a huge jerk to everybody. And I'm like thinking in my head, like, all right, well, they're going to, you know, 
get to know each other, all become friends and start working together well and like training their powers. And like, no, he's still a jerk. <laughs> he hates them all and wants to leave, but he can't. <laughs> he absolutely does not like them very much. <laughs> so like that he uh, tolerates them now because he feels like he has to, but. He hasn't like... softened his edges at all. It's the, so when we started it, we said it was very breakfast club in terms of the personalities of the five teenagers. And yeah, that's the uh, the outsider Judd Nelson uh, yes. character is um, he's still yeah every issue ready for scrapping scratching for a fight there. But. Yeah, I mean if the <laughs> if the Breakfast Club had to de- had to deal with you know roving gangs of teenagers to 20 year olds and the kgb and questionable cia agents and so so yeah better than the breakfast club right yeah yeah (laughs) they do there was a like a rogue teenage psychic i forgot to to include in my list Um, oh right thomas the stalker yeah, they are meeting other people with powers and having to fight them. So that's also interesting. Um, but so far, they're not really, you know, it's not like a nice um, school for mutants or anything. It is, they're miserable <laughs> and they're constantly looking over their shoulder. And where we, it was a good cliffhanger actually at the end of six where they got tossed out of sanctuary finally. I, I, after you know, months of being like, if you kids show your powers around here, I'm going to kick you out. And then doing nothing. They, um, they finally got booted out and they were headed, uh, headed off on Christmas Eve in the back of a truck. Yeah. I, I like that from a storytelling future perspective, but it also makes me a little sad because we were developing the running joke that the sanctuary had a limitless number of rooms. <laughs> they show it from the outside as a sort of, you know, reasonably large, but like a row house building, but you know, they got a cafeteria, a wood shop, uh, they have everything room for like 30 kids, maybe. I don't know. Yeah. We were constantly like, is this cafeteria at the high school or is it, this is in sanctuary and it was in sanctuary. It was like, that's um i think maybe even the street fights in the alleys and where it might have been inside sanctuary in some sort of pocket dimension yeah it was uh i'll miss sanctuary if we don't get back to there i gotta admit it i would say it's the most comic booky because you have a lot of teen angst and powers like uh being used and explored and so it's like a you know new mutants um slash i don't know what teen titans teen titans maybe maybe yeah but yeah they uh they They were they were fighting a lot in the early days i remember yeah yeah they definitely have like Definitely more traditional powers than like DP7, I would say. Yeah, yeah. And they don't, they're not like um, physically changed. So it's one of these things where they could, you'd think they could just sort of fade into the background, but they're always, you know, 
something about their power pops up and everyone freaks out and all that. Yeah. And well, two governments have their names on a list too. So that's, that's also <laughs> part of the tension. So uh, let's see. Overall rating for the series so far. Um, at the risk of being generous, I will give it a B plus. Ah, you stole my grade again. Damn. <laughs> I was thinking B plus. I think a, it's uh, a- it's got that consistency that um, Night Mask and Spitfire doesn't quite have, and. Right. Um, yeah, I like the cast of characters and such. Yeah, yeah. It's uh it's fast paced. Um and I like they've had two or three issues of going back to meet people's uh characters' families. And I found them, you know, also well developed. That's always like a good sign if you have sort of even minor characters and you're like, yeah, this is a this isn't like a cartoon character. This is, you know recognizable so yeah and and i flat out love the idea that their combined superpower this like awesome cyhawk that has all of their powers but boosted right like it's it's even better at it can do everything they can do but stronger um Mm -hmm. i love the idea that they hate it and are terrified (laughs) of what it's doing to them right like like they're not (laughs) teamed up to fight crime they are they're totally weirded out by the fact that this even happens and uh and he's almost like the villain you know it's it's not really because it's trying to keep them safe but you know he's not making their lives uh better uh and they don't enjoy it and so again i was thinking that it was going to be you know maybe a couple issues and then they're like all right cyhawk combine let's solve the problem kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. now they chucked the amulet like can they even summon cyhawk anymore i don't know I don't, yeah. I, I've been wondering if that'll pop back up. Good question. We gotta go find that amulet. Where was the park <laughs> that we tossed that thing? Maybe they don't even need we... it. It was just a placebo. Yeah, yeah the power was within them all along. <laughs> um, yeah. Did you press the cliche generator button? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I got a million of them. A million of them, I tell you. <laughs> Oh, let's see. Um, e pluses all around. Anything else to say, or on to some football players? Um, art's been pretty consistent. Um, I'm not, I, I think that'll change, but um, yeah, one of the more consistent books, definitely. Yeah, yeah. I, I it doesn't stand out. Like in my head, there's not like memorably awesome art issues, but. Uh, yeah, it's been consistent and good. No, I mean that that really counts for something, and in, in some ways, yeah, you're like you, you at least know what you're you're looking forward to it a little or something. I don't know. Yeah, you're not wondering if you're gonna get something that looks like it got sneezed out in five minutes. <laughs> Onward and upward. That would have been a better transition to Mark Hazard than than kickers. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, kickers has also been sneezed at on occasion, I think, but that's true. Yeah, I, I don't think it's suffered for it in the same way. Okay, so we're gonna take a break, and for the rest of the issues, check out part two on a separate podcast. <laughs> 